0: Hello and welcome to the Interactive Investor Podcast, where we discuss matters of investment interest. I'm Richard Hunter, Head of Markets at Interactive Investor, and I'm delighted to be joined by Tim Steer, author of the book The Signs Were There, a forensic examination of more than 25 share price collapses, how they happened, why they happened, and how the danger signs were visible if you knew where to look. They say that sales are vanity, profits are sanity but cash is king, perhaps even profits aren't sanity. And later we'll be asking Tim what accountancy, investment analysis and Pink Floyd have in common. So welcome to you Tim and firstly thanks for a great read in terms of the signs were there. What drove you to write the book in the first
1: place? Well I've been around a long time. as I say in rock and roll, I've been to Belgium, torn up parking tickets, and just pretty girls. <laughs> and uh, I thought it'd be um, uh, a great time after I retired from Artemis to write about some of the adventures, some of the war stories that you know I was um, part of uh, when I was a fund manager. And uh, it seems that you know these the stock market disasters just keep on coming. But uh, for me, um, many of these uh, stocks were stocks that I identified at the time. And um, it was all really triggered by one number. One number made me think, hmm, this is not so good. And um, so I avoided the shares, and when I started running hedge funds, um, I I shorted them as well. Okay, so there's 27
0: companies mentioned in the book. Are there any particular themes which keep rearing their ugly head across the piece?
1: Well, you mentioned it slightly earlier. Cash is king, or cash is fat rather, everything else is a matter of opinion. So if you approach a set of accounts and uh, and the only number you really can believe, or 99% of the time you, you can believe is cash, all other numbers are a matter of opinion. And when you see numbers that are out of sync with say activity levels, uh, i.e. You know, sales increases one year over another, then you probably best to look at those numbers that have increased a lot or declined a lot. And these are the, the first places you should look. So it's entirely appropriate that if a has increased its sales, say by 10% in a year, or the activity levels have gone up to 10%, all other numbers in a balance sheet of PL should have moved by about 10%. If they've moved 50% or 60% or 100%, you really want to understand why. And, and that is often a key indicator. If you can't understand why, um, that's a key indicator of maybe there's a problem with the company. And one of
0: the fascinating things that comes
1: out of the book
0: is that even prior to a share being listed, in other words, when we're at the time of the uh, uh, IPO in the first place, even at that stage, um, there can be some warning signs before the shares even come to market.
1: Yeah, well, of course, the prospectus is a a very valuable document, which, uh, unfortunately, so often these days, investors don't get enough time to look at, which is probably something the regulator should be reviewing. But if you can get hold of the prospectus uh, ahead of deciding whether to take uh, an IPO, uh, listing or not it's very important to look through it and um, a prospectus is a very valuable doctor, a document because often there's more information in the prospectus than there is in an annual report and you have to remember of course that these numbers are as pretty as they're ever going to be because people are generally trying to raise money or trying to sell equity or sell shares uh, and so you should be pretty cautious of IPOs generally I would have thought
0: Sure and, and again um, bringing it back home there, there's many companies that uh, our listeners will have heard of Uh, dispersed throughout your book, the likes of uh, Sports Direct, Carillion, Aston Martin, Lagonda and Toshiba to mention but a few. Is there any particular uh, example of a company which kind of stands out in your mind having, having been the author of this book?
1: Uh, well, I think the most comical one, the uh, most comical one is uh, Patisserie Valerie, which is a fairly recent company disaster. Yep. Although it wasn't widely held because it was really quite a small company, it was a, quite a high-profile company yep. and its shares did extremely well. It was run by relatively high-profile uh, businessmen. But what was comical about Patisserie Valerie is that it had... Uh, obviously, as its inventory or as its stock, you know, uh, fast food. And when one explored the, um, uh, investigated how old the sum of this inventory was of croissants and um, pan-au-chocolats and Black Forest gattos one could see very easily that the average age of a cake or the average age of the stock the patisserie Valerie had on its uh, in its balance sheet at the year end was eighty days. It wow. is ridiculous, which actually means, if you take it further, that some of that stock was actually as old as 160 days. It is was clearly a number that was unbelievable. Absolutely. This was a fast food company that had um, 80 days of stock in its balance sheet, which is just really, really not credible.
0: Absolutely, and uh, yeah, 160 days, that. You would have thought that the uh, consumers might have had something to say. I them. think granny and grandpa, <laughs>
1: and it was grannies and grandpas who spent a lot of time in patisserie valerie cake shops, you know, they would have uh, uh, broken their false teeth on, <laughs> on those croissants, that's for certain. Quite. Uh, another um, part of the, uh, the industry that's been in the spotlight
0: late, lately, of course, is the auditors. Uh, the Big Four, in particular, and of course they make their own contribution to any to any company accounts. But there's there's a potential uh, word of caution and indeed word of wisdom there that you've uh, you've been talking about when it comes to auditors themselves.
1: Yeah, well, there's a number of conclusions from the book, but it seems to be that um, if you've got a provincial auditor uh, auditing uh, your books, then uh, there may be more of a problem. I'm not saying that um, you know they are always a problem. They're not, but you know the big. Uh, company disasters of the past you know, five, ten years or so have often involved provincial auditors rather than London-based auditors. Right. That's point number one. Uh, point number two, even though the auditors and the regulators and management, and to a certain extent advisors and investors did a bad job in all these examples even though they did a bad job you could still see there were issues by looking through the annual report of of these companies and the other thing that I think uh, is an important point is that back in the day there was one thing that you never read uh, one part of an annual report which you never read which was the audit report it was boring, it said nothing these days the audit report has completely changed and I would recommend it's the first place one should go to because the auditor is explaining the work he's done and where he has concerns and he starts he's starting to measure the amount of concern he has in certain balances and certain processes within a company. So that's a very, very important place to start, and a great place from which to extract questions um, to ask management when they come in and see you if you're a fund manager.
0: And do you think that's becoming more widespread in terms of city city analysts when they're now going to presentations?
1: I can't I, I can't speak for that because I haven't been to a city analyst yep. presentation for some time, but it has to be a a great place to extract information because you know the contact with management is much more regulated now it's much more restricted and yet the uh, the order report is much more informative now than it was so it's a good place to pick up information uh, about a company.
0: Okay now we know that you were previously a, a top-rated fund manager we also asked a question at the top of the show which was that uh, we were going to be asking you what accountancy investment analysis and Pink Floyd have in common? Would you like to enlighten us, Tim?
1: They have nothing whatsoever in <laughs> common. Um, I'm just trying to think, actually, maybe they do, because I was lucky enough to spend some time um, mixing sound for lots and lots of very interesting uh, musicians back in the 80s. And I uh, did that for six or seven years and I stopped. And I was very lucky to be interviewed at Ernst & Young by the Beatles accountant. Oh wow. And we had some common uh, knowledge and common uh, associations and maybe, maybe that's why I got a job there, who knows.
0: Of course and of course the other uh, thing that they have in common is that uh, Tim, St- Tim Steers CV um, carries or goes across all of those particular things and uh, quite apart from the fact of the uh, sentence you mentioned earlier there's probably not too many stories we could share that we'll actually, uh, actually get to here so it might be our idea if we leave it there so it's been absolutely fascinating Tim thanks very much indeed for your time
1: okay thanks very much Richard
0: and thank you for listening do join us next time for another interactive investor podcast